So friends, you might be familiar, if this isn't your first Sunday with us since the new year, that we have been working our way into and starting a series called God Is, where we've been looking at the different attributes of God. Uh, We started with God is different to us, uh, just to introduce a spiritual being who is other and and not like us. I think that was what it was called, God is not like us. Um, We followed that with God God is Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And last week we had God is holy. This week we are going to touch on God is love. And I think these are massive. These are massive topics for us to get right uh, and to understand. And so we're going to look at that together this morning. God is love. And I prayed already, but I'd love us to prepare our hearts. Um, when we look at the nature of who God is, that's no small thing. In fact, it's quite the opposite. There's nothing bigger. Uh, so it's really important that we get this right, that I get this right, and that we listen and have hearts that are open to what Scripture says about who God is. And so, Father, I really pray you'd help me this morning. Lord, I pray, as Hannah prayed, Lord, that you give us um, open hearts. Lord, ears to hear what you're saying to us. As you know, Scripture, Jesus so often said, ears to hear. Lord, we want to have faith as well. Uh, Jesus, you are the King. And so, we, Lord, I give this next 20, 25 minutes to you. And ask, Lord, that you would speak. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, love is, um, love is something that's generally relatively familiar. For every single one of us in the room, there will be some understanding about what love is, what it looks like, what it feels like, or at least, at least what it should feel like. There is no one in the room that is for whom this is a totally alien, alien concept. And so it's familiar. And so we're going to start with the familiar this morning. And then we're going to go to the less familiar. What, what, about, what about God? From the, from the familiar to the less familiar, from the knowable, what we know to be true, to the, to the quite frankly, unknowable. He is, he is unsearchable. He is unknowable to the extent that he is... He is the Lord, and by very definition, it means that we cannot fully comprehend who he is or what he is like. But Scripture gives us a very, very good idea about how he is, who he is, what he is like, the nature of who he is. And so we're going to go there this morning from the familiar to the less familiar, and then the ultimate demonstration of what love is. So that's where we're going. We're going to start with the familiar. You, um, you can search what is love, and on YouTube it comes up with a whole host of different results. I watched a few surveys on what is love. The question was asked to a whole group of uh, strangers, individuals, and the question was asked, what is love? Um, and, and it's interesting, a whole variety of responses comes back because we're familiar with it. But there's a whole variety of responses, and some are... You get some who respond who just say, well, love is love. You can't quite quantify it. It's, it's ethereal. You, you, can't, you can't grab hold of it. I don't even quite know how to describe it, but it's love. It's just a weird force. And then you get some who just succinctly describe it in about 10 words. Um, the Cambridge, uh, one of Cambridge's dictionary's definition for love 
And there's many others. I'm not going to say that this is Cambridge Dictionary's definition entirely. There's lots of kind of sub-definitions because love is so broad. But one of the most helpful definitions that I found uh, was this, and it says, to like another adult very much and be romantically and sexually attracted to them or to have strong feelings of liking a friend or person in your family. And, um, you know, if, you, if you've come to church this morning and you're not familiar with church, maybe you're not a Christian, you knew to expect you were going to be spoken to by a Christian. I th- you know, that's, that's stating the obvious. Which means you also know that I come with a bias. So I'm going to say some things this morning that I believe with my whole heart are true about God and are true about humanity. So you're, you know, you're open to the fact that I have a bias. And so when I read this, when I read this, I thought, to like another adult very much and be romantically and sexually attracted to them or to have strong feelings of liking a friend or another person in your family, I thought, well, how does that? Does that really quantify love? I don't think it does. I'm not selling Cambridge Dictionary short. There's lots of other things that they say. But it doesn't feel like that quantifies what love is, does it? It doesn't. It's much deeper than that. That's not to say that's not what love is. Of course it is. And we all know that there are uh, varying demonstrations of love. So um, each of us, if we live with another person in the house... Before we go to work, if we live in a house, you know, you live in a tent, either's fine. But if you go, if you leave your premises in the morning, more often than not, unless you don't like the person you're living with, you say, goodbye, have a nice day. If you have children in the house, you might say, I love you, have a wonderful day at school. If you're departing from a loved one for a little while and you know you won't see them, usually there comes some kind of demonstration of affection, even if it's just a high five. It might be a, it might be a deep embrace. But most of these are small demonstrations of what love is. And then you get the more exceptional, extraordinary demonstrations of love, which more often than not are also captured in the films because they don't happen every day. They seem to happen every day in the films, to which you think, goodness me, if every day was like that, it would be exhausting. But there are demonstrations of love which are, you know, they get our attention. You think, wow, that's, that's profound. That's, that's extraordinary. And some of it is, is actions that are, are, are they're displays of love and the result is so desperately painful because it's sacrificial, but it's so beautiful. And there are displays of love where there's no pain. It's just the, the, a beautiful display of love and affection between two, two parties. You think, wow, that's an extraordinary demonstration of, of love. So we know that you know, it's okay. It's not, it's like love, love can be fairly middle of, the, middle of the road, fairly normal. It can look fairly tame. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's deep. It's, 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 it's glorious. It looks incredible. Who here is a, um, who here's a crier in movies? Put your hand up. Well, well done, you emotional bunch. If you're, maybe you're not a crier in the movies. As much as you want to be a crier, you're not a crier. Okay, you're a hard-hearted lot. Um, I want you to know this morning, if you're a crier in the movies, or if you're not a crier in the movies, you're equally welcome at Life Church. Um, I, um, I'm somewhere in between. I think, 
I, I'm a crier, but I try desperately to hold myself, like to compose myself. Uh, and so I watched... Um, the, many of us should have seen this, because this is 20 years old. The original Ice Age movie. Put your hands up. Okay. There are half of us, at least. The original Ice Age movie. It's an amazing film. <laughs> you need to go home and watch this at the end. Um, there are about three moments in this movie where, you know, I don't watch this on my own on a Friday or Saturday night. I watch it with my children. <laughs> it's good enough to watch on your own. Um, and, but so because I'm with my children, I have to really work hard to compose myself when these difficult moments in the film come along. Um, hopefully I've whet your appetite for it. Okay, some people know. Um, there's a moment in the film... So the, the, the main characters are a... <laughs> you're going to think I'm stupid when I explain the film if you haven't seen it. A big woolly mammoth called Manny, uh, a saber-toothed tiger called Diego, and a... A, um, a sloth called Sid, thank you. Um, but these are brought together in friendship during the movie. I mean, that doesn't start that way. At the beginning, there's a, a small settlement of early humans um, and a pack of saber-toothed tigers. And obviously, these guys don't get on. They're not friends. Um, so the saber-toothed tigers go to attack the settlement of humans. And there's a mother in the settlement with a newborn baby. And she runs into her tent, scoops up her baby and runs. And she gets as far away as she can from the attack, but she's being pursued by a saber-toothed tiger to the point where she's absolutely cornered. Well, so she's got a waterfall behind her, a massive waterfall behind her, and a saber-toothed tiger in front of her, and she can't go anywhere else. It's either over the waterfall or into certain death where the saber-toothed tiger is. <coughs> and so she clutches her baby tight and she jumps over the waterfall. And the saber-toothed tiger, because in all animation movies, has somewhat human emotions. He's like, confused, why would you do that? An act of sacrificial love. And yet you've... So anyway, she plummets to the bottom of this waterfall into a raging river and she gets dragged along, uh, I don't know how far, um, but with the last piece of energy she has within her, she swims to the edge of the river and manages to push her baby up onto the side of the river uh, at the feet of this woolly mammoth. And there would be woolly mammoths now going, oh my goodness. And he looks up from the baby and the woman is gone. And uh, that gets me every time. <laughs> what an act of love and sacrifice. We are deeply moved by this thing that is love. We are deeply, deeply moved by it. Um, and, we, and we look for it. And we, we, we try and latch onto it and, and grasp hold of it. And, but I think we all appreciate and understand as well, actually, we don't find it in ourselves which is why we enjoy watching movies so much, because we see it there, and there's an outworking of it. You think, oh, if life was always like that, I think I'd be just eternally happy. But we don't find it in ourselves. I think we'd all admit, if, if, if I was going to do another raise of hands, I'm not going to do another one, it's okay. Um, we are not completely always consistent in our love, are we? We're not. 
I, I work in prison and, you know, that becomes a very obvious environment where we see the, the breakdown in how we can be loving and then we can not be loving. Even in some of the most, what should be close, beautiful relationships, they can break down so, so much to the point where there's no longer love for there anymore. Only grief. Only grief for the very fact that the person appreciates it shouldn't be like this between me and that person because of who we are to each other. But, and so there's only grief because they know there isn't love. And so our love is temperamental. But I'm convinced that in the deepest part of who we are, there is an unconscious knowing or longing or at least hoping that there must be a love that can fully satisfy me. I'm convinced that in the deepest part of who we are, there, there is a longing for, or at least a hoping, that there is a love that completely satisfy me, satisfies me. And so we all go through life in pursuit of making our lives, we're all in, in pursuit of finding something that gives us full acceptance, whatever the cost. You know, unconditional love, satisfaction, peace, all of that. Why don't we look at perhaps this love that is less familiar for a moment? Well, for a moment. It's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. What the Bible says about God's love. So it says in 1 John 4, verses 7 to 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that is uh, an acceptable atoning sacrifice for our sins, for our wrongdoing, for all of the bad stuff that we do and think and say. A.W. Tozer, a, a fairly well-known theologian, said this. I'll find the right quote in this book. He said this about love. The first thing he says is, John was not by those words stating a fact of these verses that God is love. He was stating a fact, not offering a solution, a definition, sorry. And he goes on to say, had the apostle declared that love is what God is, we'd be forced to infer that God is what love is. If literally God is love, then literally love is God. And we are in all bound to worship love as the only God there is. If love is equal to God, then God is equal to love, and God and love are identical. Thus, we destroy the concept of personality in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we deny outright all his attributes, save one, love, and that one we substitute for God. So, just to clarify, John, the Apostle John, when he said this, isn't saying God is, uh, love is God. He's not saying that. 
Otherwise, we'd destroy the personality. If I became love, I'm no longer me. I'm just love. So love is not God. Also, God is not only love. Otherwise, he's absent of justice and holiness and goodness and grace and wisdom and sovereignty. No. But God is love as a fact. That is how he is. The Apostle John was stating a fact. Tozer goes on and he says, I'll read it from here, it's easier. (laughs) From God's other known attributes, we may learn much about his love. We can know, for instance, because God is self-existent, he didn't start start existing at some point in time, he's always existed. Because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love has no end. Because he is infinite, his love has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from whom the loftiest eloquence retreats confused. I'll read that again. Maybe you want to close your eyes. It's just helpful. From God's other known attributes, we may learn much about his love. We can learn, for instance, that because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, his love is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence, the loftiest speech retreats confused and abashed. Can't explain it. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. What a way to describe the love of God. His self-existent. It didn't start at some point. If it started, then it can end. If it, you know, if it started, it's temperamental. Because it wasn't at one point. But no, he's self-existent, therefore his love has always been. He's eternal, so he can't stop. Isn't that incredible? He's infinite, so it's without limits. You can't measure it or quantify it, the love of God. So like John says in these verses, for love is from God because God is love. And because God is a complex spiritual being, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, this should massively comfort us. It is because that he is Father, Son and Holy Spirit that he can overflow continuously in love of the other. Excuse me. His love is self-giving, overflowing, eternally, generous, powerful from the Father to the Son and the Spirit from the Son to the Father and the Spirit and from the Spirit to the Son and the Father it's not an arrogant love of self it's, it's a beautiful love within one God of the other persons in the Trinity glorious, beautiful display of love eternally just ongoing The very fact that God is one and yet three persons should give us massive confidence. 
if he wasn't like that, if he was a single deity who was on his own, then I think we can assume this about love. Well, then he could only love until the first objects came into existence for whom which he could love. Because before that, he couldn't love because there was nothing to love. Or we have to assume that he is loving, in which case his love is all self-obsessed. It's completely self-centred. And that's bad news too. But God in himself is love between a beautiful display of oneness in unity and love pouring out delight and devotion of the other in the Godhead. How beautiful, how glorious that is. Jesus shows us this beautiful dynamic um, in his prayer in John 17. It says this. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, other disciples, you and me, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The unity, beautiful unity in the Godhead. That they also may be in us. Wow, he wants to share. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, the Father and Son. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me even as, and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me before, uh, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Remarkable. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have given, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's a beautiful display of Jesus talks about it, doesn't he? This love and this oneness that he has with the Father. The Father's in him, and he is in the Father. And there's a delight and a love between them eternally. The remarkable thing, the beautiful nature of the love of God is that as we see in these verses, God's, God's disposition is to invite us into it. Invite us into his love. All the way through scripture, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God is inviting, pursuing, loving humans, not because he's in need. He's perfectly satisfied in himself, loving. He's not in need, but he wants to share. That's astounding. In his nature, he wants to share. He wants to bring us into his glorious, beautiful love. That is what scripture tells us from beginning to end. That's the nature of the love of God. Isn't that beautiful? that beautiful? So we've seen the character of God. And the fact that God in himself is, he is love. He is love. What about this ultimate demonstration of love? Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
1 John 4 verse 10, we've read this in, in earlier scripture that I read. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That is the atoning sacrifice, substitution for us, for our sin, for our brokenness. In this is love. God cannot stand by and watch unmoved as he, walks his creation, as he sees his creation walk to destruction in their sin. He can't stand by unmoved. A.W. Tozer said, So it must be where love is, talking about the love of God, God's love, where love is, love must ever give of its own, whatever the cost. That's what love is. Ever giving of its own, whatever the cost is. And so whatever the cost is of our sin, the cost is death because he is holy. By the way, that is phenomenally good news. God is holy. Because if he's holy, his love is not cheap. The fact that he's holy means, means not because he's harsh, he's not harsh with us, he's not harsh thinking, oh, you, you dirty, sinful people. No, we are broken and he's full of love and he is holy. Therefore, our sinfulness deserves death. But because of the immense love that he has for us, he is driven to give of himself, whatever the cost is. That's extraordinary. What was the cost? The son. Because we are sinful and we deserve death. The cost was giving himself, Jesus, the eternal son of God. Coming willingly to die on the cross. To pay the price for our sin, which is death, to save us. That's the glorious demonstration of the love of God. Father, I pray that we would understand your love a bit more. Lord, I pray that you would settle your love into our hearts a bit more. Even as I'm speaking, Lord, I pray that it be apparent how absolutely staggering your love is. We get so familiar with reading these verses. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. We get so familiar with these verses. The fact that in eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Spirit agreed a redemption plan of his fallen creation. The fact that in the Godhead, this beautiful, eternal, loving God would give of himself the eternal Son. That Jesus would choose to come to earth because he thinks that you are that worth dying for is absolutely staggering. Do you see the love of God? He pours out of himself. He didn't have to come to earth in Jesus. He didn't have to reach out to save us. But such is the extraordinary love of God for you. God so loved the world. Later in the Gospels, Jesus goes on to say, 
about God's knowledge of us, that he knows every hair on our head. So where it says God so loved the world, he had you in mind because he's all-knowing. So when, God, when it says God so loved the world, he had you in mind. And he was driven by his love that much in spite of your failings because of his immense love for you. Absolutely staggering. I don't deserve the salvation of God. I don't deserve his kindness. I don't deserve it because my love's temperamental. I'm, I'm broken. I do things wrong. I think things wrong. I say things wrong all the time. And so do you because you're no different from me. But he is so moved by love, so moved by love that he would send his son to die for you, to die for you. That is the extraordinary length to which he is full of love. Absolutely staggering. Let us never, Matt Redmond said, let us never in his song, let us never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder of his mercy. Let us never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder of his mercy, that he loves you in an extraordinary way. We're going to have communion in a moment. But I am... Um, I think for all of the words that I've spoken, uh, A.W. Tozer put it much better. So as we, um, as we respond in just a moment, I'll read this again. From God's other known attributes, we may learn much about his love. We can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love has no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, he is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea, before which we kneel in joyful silence, and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and abashed. His love is absolutely phenomenal. He showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. While we are enemies from God, he died for us. Because he loves us. I'd love us to respond. Just um, feel free to do this with people. Turn to the people next to you, or if you don't want to, if you just want to respond on your own for a moment, I'd love us to respond. And just reflect, thank God. You might have come this morning and think, yeah, but I don't deserve his love. You'd be right. <laughs> I don't deserve it. You're right, you don't deserve his love but he wants to lavish it on you anyway. But I can't be accepted. Yeah, you can. Yeah, in him you can. Jesus died so that you could be free and, 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 and spotless in his sight, in the Lord's sight, and accepted into his family. He is good. I would love us to just spend a moment thanking him for what he's done. If you don't know the Lord Jesus here and you want to know his love for you, I'd love to pray with you at the end. Find someone that you came with and pray with them. Yeah. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross 
because of your immense love for us, because you were that driven to save us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood was spilt on the cross and your body was broken so that we did not have to face the fury of God at our sinfulness because of the love of God. The unmerited, undeserved love of God towards us. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen.